Hello and welcome to this, the 30th episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally. I'm Artistic Director of Rise Productions. I'm a freelance actor. More recently, I'm a director and a producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and I am a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And as usual, a Each week, we are bringing you this podcast absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we'll never, ever charge for these conversations. But we are, of course, looking for you to put your money back into Irish theatre, to put your money where your mouth is. The whole ethos of this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. What is the easiest, simplest, most tangible way to support Irish theatre? Go out this weekend and buy yourself some tickets. Hell, go out tonight and buy yourself some tickets. Go and put your money where your mouth is and support Irish theatre. If you feel the tickets are a bit of a stretch, financially at the moment go on over to one of the crowdsourcing websites like fundit.ie and check out one of the theatre programs uh, that are running a campaign over there Uh, and that's great you can support over there from as little as a fiver and there are always great rewards in return for your donation so it's not like you're throwing money away for nothing you also get a warm fuzzy feeling to know that you're helping Irish art and Irish theatre so look of course there are ways you can support uh, without having to put your hand in your pocket you can tell people about this podcast whether that's in person over a cup of coffee or by sharing the link as a Facebook post or retweeting the link on Twitter you can subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes um, you can stream it from fightnight.ie if you're out and about and you can also access it on radiomade.ie uh, do please go back and listen to all the other episodes that we've put out over the last six or seven months leave us a review on iTunes please we ask this every week it ain't going to kill you take two minutes out of your day we've given you a lot over the last six or seven months I don't think it's a huge amount to ask in return Uh, reviews and subscriptions and ratings over on iTunes do a huge amount to help our chart position and as we say every week the higher profile we can get for the podcast means the more we can spread the word about the great shows and the great theatre makers that are out there at the moment so you help us we help them everybody gets happy Uh, so please do go over there review us or rate us on their five star rating system that's simply a one click deal you can follow us Rise Productions on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland, or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. So uh, let's talk about what's been going on over the last little while. It's exciting times for me personally here at the moment. We're getting to the business end of uh, of the house by Tom Murphy at the Abbey. It's really coming together. I had a little uh, a sneak into the auditorium yesterday to see how the set is coming together. Uh, and for anyone out there who has heard any of the little secrets about what we're doing with the, uh, the set design for this, um, you'll know that it's going to be something pretty spectacular. And uh, I'm kind of terrified and amazed looking at it um i think this is going to be visually a really really interesting piece of theater um and you know it's coming together i have to say it's a you're starting with a really really solid play tom murphy is an exceptional writer and this really is for my money one of his uh one of his most underrated works it's an exceptional piece of theater it's a really really solid script and uh as i've been saying all the way along we have put together a ridiculous cast for this Uh, and everybody's firing on all cylinders it's um it's the best in the business at the top of their game. I don't want to jinx this and blow it out of all proportion, but you know what? I'm in that room every day, and I'm 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 constantly amazed by what's going on. I think this is a. Uh I think this is really going to be a great show, and I hope you guys get a chance to pop down and see it uh, over the next couple of months as we'll be there. Um, also, to say, uh, I repeat that um, Carl Shields, who I'm working with on the house at the moment, uh, is brilliantly uh, reinstating theatre upstairs at Lanigan's um, on the keys there. Uh, and that shout-out that he made on the on the show here a couple of weeks ago still stands. If you are looking to... Um, 
put on a show, if you have an idea for a show, if you're an actor who's looking to direct, a director who's looking to act, a writer who's looking to do any or all of the above, um, or you're just a theatre company out there who's, you know, finding it hard to get into one of those bigger, more established venues because, you know, they can be a little bit prohibitively priced at the moment. It's uh, it's tough to get work put on. We're all we're all trying to do things on a, on a budget here at the moment. So, um, you know, Carl is looking for submissions. Uh, you can get them there, theatreupstairs at gmail.com. Go over and uh, and make your sub- submissions there and uh, see what can come out of it. So, look, let's get on to uh, our guest this week. And... Uh, this is a really special one, guys. I know I, I kind of say that pretty much every week, but this this really is an important one for me because um, because this week we're chatting to the amazing Louise Lowe of Anu, and uh, Louise is just such a phenomenal theatre maker. Um, you know, the idea that almost every single piece of theatre she makes ends up taking the world by storm and winning awards left, right and centre, and, you know, these amazing five-star reviews and write-ups and papers and all this, and, and you know, the work she's making is, is really important. But the uh, the really interesting thing for me is, uh, and you'll hear it through the course of this conversation, um, the way she talks about theatre so passionately and, uh, and, and how she talks about so many of the ideas that we hold dear here at Rise, that thing of, you know, the primacy of the audience, but in the audience at the heart of everything um it's amazing to hear her come up with so many things that are kind of word for word what we've spoken about and you know have in our creed on the website and stuff that about the theater we want to make she is um just a phenomenal theater maker such a hero of mine um i'm absolutely delighted that she agreed to come on and have the chat with us i just feel really really privileged and uh i, I think this is a good one guys uh, look let's get straight into this i'm not going to do any more talking here she is the phenomenal louise lowe the wonderful Louise Lowe. Thank you so much for agreeing to come and have a chat to us. I'm delighted to have you. Delighted to be asked. Thank you. So we do this every week. As you know, we go back to the very beginning. What lit the spark for you to think about a career in theatre? Where did it begin for you? Um, I suppose a lot of messing around as a kid, dressing up and just doing the usual school plays. And, and my drama teacher in school told me I was awful and I shouldn't do it. And... Um, <laughs> And, and then kind of I, I, I took to painting the sets and doing the sets for all of our school shows and I convinced myself then that I wanted to, to design for theatre. I really wanted to design more than wow. anything. And I went and did a year in college um, trying to think if I could even consider being a designer and not being able to draw uh, really just kind of hinder <laughs> that, you know. But I suppose, so after my, my it was a PLC course, you know, right. you go and you think about, you know, whether you want to really do this or nearly do this. And yeah. unfortunately, mine was a nearly do this. Um, and then I, I kind of went, I really want to be involved and took my teacher to heart when she said, you shouldn't do it, certainly shouldn't perform. Um, right, okay. And I was like, okay. So I went and Peter Sheridan was making a production um, many years ago. And I asked, could I help with, costume and makeup and and thankfully he said yes so then I went and did a bit of bit of kind of work with with companies and groups thankfully mostly through Peter and through a woman called Sean Tracy and Fashion Machine and and just basically hanging around their costume um, department and trying things on (laughs) (laughs) and and thinking that I should be I should be doing something more than what I'm doing and then just kind of um, I started doing a lot of work with with community groups and with um, with groups in Ballymun, particularly a women's group in Ballymun in the drop-in well centre. And then after playing around with it for a few years, I went, right, if you're going to be serious about it, because um, I got married when I was 18 and thought I was ever so grown up. So then I realised, you know, you kind of have to go, right, if you're going to really be serious, then you need to go back to college. So right. so went back to college then and, 
and did a little bit and then um, then went to work a lot again with community groups and youth theatres in, in Ballymun and worked a little bit in Mountjoy and we feel prison after that. What is that experience like? Because it's it strikes me that it must be a pretty intense working environment but I mean what's it like? Are, are they guys who maybe have had no experience of the arts and theatre before or people who have or, or what's it like? What's that experience like? Um, I think I've seen some of the best performances probably I've ever seen. Right. People who are performing a lot, yeah. actually, in their own, you know, it, I think very often to get through prison and stuff, people perform, yeah. you know, as a coping mechanism. So people were always performing in, in, in prison. Um, and I suppose I didn't want to learn about what they'd done. That was very much a consideration um, before I went to work there. I, went, right. I don't want to know, yeah. actually, because it shouldn't affect my judgment in any way. And it didn't, actually. And right. I had great fun and a lot of good memories working inside in the prison services. Not in terms of a therapeutic sense or yeah. environment, but you know, just basic workshops and, and trying stuff out, having having a bit of fun and a bit of, you know, wow. a bit of release from the monotony, I think, of what prison life is like, you know. Yeah. And then I worked for a number of years with young offenders and then from there um, graduated into youth theatre. Right. <laughs> okay. It's so, it's, one of the, it's the thing that really fascinates me. There's a friend of mine in the States who was doing work in prisons as well and they were doing Hamlet, but they were doing it over five years they've done an act per year which wow. gives you an idea of the kind of sentences some of these guys were serving yes, yeah. uh, but like that you think kind of you know Hamlet and it's Shakespeare and it's antiquated and whatever else but they were so connected with it that you got these guys who maybe well have been killers themselves kind of saying, well hang on he knows that this guy has done this to his father mm-hmm. so he'll stand back and do it I can't believe that I'm going there and tear like, but really passionately engaging with the work yeah that's know? true I think actually from what I've what, what I've witnessed and what I've been involved in is, is watching people who who have time to connect to things as yeah. well and, and give it time and space and who don't enter into it with, with any kind of um, whim. I think yeah. anyone who chooses to do to, to get involved in that kind of stuff did it with, with passion, with integrity and with um, with real consideration and thought. And yet they may never have been have had training or have done it ever. But the actual performances were sometimes really, really authentic and true yeah. and and really fascinating to watch actually. And some of the best performances I've ever seen have been inside wow. a prison. So then you say from there moving into moving with youth drama at that stage, that was next up, was it? Yeah, no, I think I was writing it alongside it. I wrote a play okay. when I was 20 called Diptych that I thought was going to change the world. And looking back, it would be an acute embarrassment. <laughs> the idea of seeing that script now would probably make me want to cringe. But, you know, you think it's important at the time. You think you're trying to say something or tell something or... Or do or do something important that isn't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I suppose we we did did write. I'd started writing many many years ago, and just for myself, I suppose, and for my right. own. I, I don't. Know, I was always trying to find out what it was that I did, and um, between thinking I could design costumes to sets to and writing. Was it always writing for theatre? Always yes, scripts. Right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Never written a short story. I've never tried to write a novel. I never wrote a screenplay. Um, it was simply plays that I wanted to write, wow. um, and and did so with some success and with not you know yeah. other times with not no success at all whatsoever, um, and then within that I suppose I was always working with with community groups as well and and then went and graduated to youth theatre in Ballymun, um, and that was great. I spent six years being being there and working there and and loved it absolutely loved it and really you know I I think it's a very special place a special time in my life that I can say. Really important, um, and whilst there, I went back to Central in London. Now, what was that experience like? Well, I finally, I think, realised doing a lot of community drama, a lot of prison drama, a lot of youth theatre, um, and writing as well that I really wanted to direct. I think I knew. I think you, there's a very there's a part to me that would have gone. You can't just say you're a director without having any real experience. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those things that you kind of go. 
yeah, you really want all the control, but you know you have to be prepared to actually put some work in. So, so I went back and did an MA in directing in Central in London. And was um, that over over two years? Over two years, wow. Yeah, so that was hard because yeah. the first year was a research methodology, and then the second year was thought. So you kind of went and did your own projects in the first year and thought, this is really good, I can get into this. And yeah. It's relatively easy, I'm writing about my own work. It's really yeah. writing about what I knew and what I, you know, what I think I know. And then the second year really shook me up a bit where it becomes a thought module and you're like going, all right, now I have to listen to other people and, yeah. and really kind of engaging with, with what that is and you know, how that is as well. So. And in terms of the style of work that you've now gone on to make your name with, I mean, at that stage, what, were you able to engage with kind of more experimental stuff or was it straight down the middle old classical texts and no and I don't think it was ever I think it was always mixed up a little bit you know right, I okay. think in in Ballymore we've made Tumble Downtown um, in 2004 2005 because what had happened was uh, I'd also done a youth arts course with NUI Minis and on that course I mixed with artists of different disciplines and and one, uh, one other artist that was doing the course was a man called Owen Boss who was a visual artist right. and on day one in college I realised we, we would be falling out on the very first day like it was massive <laughs> I threw a book it was a really out of character at me I didn't quite throw it at him but I threw it beside him to make a point you threw it near him I threw it absolutely near him to make a point and he, his view was that you know art can be anything and my view was that was nonsense there had to be some kind of skill or integrity yeah. behind us so I threw the book to prove it. I said, is that art? And he said, well, if you wanted it to be, it could be. And I was like, I don't know I agree with this. So we fell out and I went home and said to my friend, you know, there's this absolute gobshite in my class who really annoyed me today. And he went home and said to his friend, it's this absolute wagon who's really moving on my back up and threw a book at me. Um, and, and subsequently, he's married my best friend. So wow. it's kind of funny now to look at it and go, gosh, remembering those moments. But what became clear to me was his ethics underpinning his work were very similar to mine. Right. And then towards the end of that year, we were asked to make a project and to find somebody that we have to make a project with. And me, who never seems to want to make things very easy for myself, decided to go and ask Owen wow. and said, will you be my project partner? And he said, yes, um, because he obviously thought he should shake things up for himself as well. And we worked very, very happily together, actually, because we were constantly questioning each other and constantly inspiring each other and constantly being critical to each other in a very constructive way. And we made Tumble Downtown together, which was awarded a public art commission yeah. for Valley Month. Um, and then we worked with 26 young people over the duration of a whole summer to make a response to the regeneration of Valley Month. Wow. Um, and then it subsequently went into the Fringe Festival as well, so, and won Spirit of Fringe Awards. So it was kind of bizarre to come from throwing a book at someone to realising, actually, do you know something, I think I want to make work with you for a while. You're kind wow. of cool. And, and he is really inspiring, and I think, and it still remains so. I mean, I still, yeah. still think we, we have the same disagreement, actually. <laughs> I think I'm closer to coming around to his way. I think he's a little bit closer to coming around to mine. But ultimately, we still kind of really question and interrogate and and absolutely provoke in the right way, actually, yeah. when we're making work together. Well, it's like you said, I mean, like, that could have been a very volatile situation, and yet it goes on and becomes this kind of really successful show, like, say, Spirit of the Fringe and yeah, all this yeah. stuff. It's amazing that that kind of, whatever that dynamic of the energy was, Brought clearly brought something magic to it. Absolutely, I think it's that's what sustained us in terms of setting up new and stuff. And since then, it's been kind of interesting to go. Yeah, you're the person I want to work with now for the next little while, wow, and, and and it's become somebody very important to me as an artist. I think in terms of like I would care. I probably would never told. I've told him that. I'm sure he's listening to this now. But I would care a lot about what I would think, you know. And yeah. and I I would never necessarily admit that out loud to face to face. How valuable was that MA? For you in that time it was critical research. it was absolutely critical yeah i think you know surrounding yourself in a in a different environment is, is a really healthy thing to do 
and because you have to be forced to articulate what you want and how you want and why you want and and how you make work and why you're making work and because you're explaining it in an environment that's not necessarily um familiar to other people yeah um that was that was really 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 important so a, a lot of things happened around that year um i think you know in, in, in around those couple of years i think of finishing my because we did tumble downtown and then i went to college <laughs> so like it was it was like and then I went to, to London I went right and Owen subsequently went back to NCD and did his MA right. at the same time actually and then two was met after that again and set up a new so I suppose that time apart was really really interesting in terms of making work and, and I got to work with some brilliant writers during that time and the National Theatre Programme in London right. as well you know people like Ursulani Sarma and Roy Williams and so you're working with texts and, and really good writers and stuff and, and then sit, at, at the same time making offset work we were making things like Rock, Paper, Scissors and Bus Project ourselves yeah. and, and scraping things together and, and responses to Hotel Valley Mund and stuff. So there was kind of always those mix of things going on at the same time. But I think being in Central, being in that building alone is kind of intimidating at the best of time. But, but having to form an articulated and, and cohesive response and to kind of justify why you're giving yourself, why you're committing that kind of two years to yourself in, in lots of ways. You know, it is a, an investment in your career and going... Right, well, if I'm, if I'm going to spend it, I'm going to spend it wisely. Yeah. And I'm going to absolutely commit to doing it the best I can. So, so yeah, hopefully, you know, that's what happened. <laughs> so coming out from there was kind of great because I think two very important things happened around that time. Um, I went and did the Next Stage programme. Yes. And I came to the Abbey as a resident assistant director. So those two things kind of happened around the same time. Wow. Um, and the Next Stage programme really, I think, changed my life because... You know, you meet people there, and you kind of look, and everyone seemed to me at the time to have this different language, this different um, understanding of, I suppose, European theatre or worldwide that yeah. I didn't have, and I realised doing next day that I, my experience to that to that to that time up until then, and probably since to a degree, had been very insular and very much a bit about my own world, and yeah. and, and I, I remember hearing names that you know, oh gosh, I I've never I had no frame of reference what people were talking about, so felt a little bit at a loose end, but you know. At the same token, we're surrounded by some of the best people and the most inspiring people that I've ever met in my life. It was, it was life-changing. Yeah, we've spoken to a couple of people about the next stage on here. And apart from the thing that they mentioned, that it's absolutely brutally plummeting in terms of a, you know, a, a schedule. schedule. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that it is, just to be exposed to that much and that kind of a, a broad scale of work in, in a such whirlwind. a condensed yeah. period of time... It's that it does kind of just shake you to, to your foundations. And, and like you mm-hmm. said, look at the time at Central, going, well, look, what, what is it I'm actually doing? What does it actually want to do? Yeah. Is it like, am I on the path that I want to be doing? And it seems yeah. to be massively useful for people. I think so. I think, you know, it's really interesting because um, Emma Jordan was on the same year as I was, and she said to me recently, weren't you very defensive then? I was gosh, was I really? <laughs> was I really defensive then? And I think maybe I was because I think I was undergoing a transformation in my own career where I was realising that I just wanted to shake it up. But I'd never worked really with professional actors or anything before then, to a degree, you know, I had yeah. done little bits, but nothing that you would say that was, uh, you know, any real kind of um, experience and stuff. And it gave me the courage to go and do that. Right. So I suppose I was defensive on the next stage by saying, I'm choosing to work in this. But then I realised, you know, what happens if you, if you shake that up and push it out? And, and, you know, yeah, and I had an MA next day that I was a director, so I could, I could <laughs> obviously honour it to prove it, yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was like, maybe I should or maybe I could. And, and I suppose it gave me the courage to go forward with that and actually try it. Um, what about your time then at the Abbey? Um, what was that period like? My time there at the Abbey was really, really interesting. I got to work with some amazing people again. I think it was about those years of just surrounding yourself with really inspiring individuals. I think it was a really, um, it was a really interesting year 
It could be because you're assisting, you're watching all the time. And because you never get to see somebody else's rehearsal room, let's face it, it's such a it's such an honour to be there in the yeah. first place and then to work with directors like Jimmy and Jason who really, you know, gave the time and consideration to why I was there actually and what I should hope to get from it. Simply not yeah. just, you know, you know, you can get coffee and you can photocopy, but you can also do something that could be interesting or vital or you know, you kind of they made me feel like I actually being there mattered, which was really important wow. in lots of ways. And then then Felix gave me a fantastic opportunity and and when I went to leave, I told him, you know, that I wanted to go and set up a new and, ba and Basin was, you know, one of the major shows that we had on our heads. And he was really supportive and not just gave me a little bit of financial support, but also a lot of um, kind of mentoring support and, and like marketing support and stuff. Really kind of invested heavily in me in lots of ways. That's great. But so it was fantastic. It was really, really fantastic. Are there any particular moments of that time at the Abbey that stand out for you, or even just a particular production, or was there, a, you know, a, a big lesson that you learned? Went, wow, that's actually really useful. Um, I think there was lots of things I learned, you know, in terms of how you manage actors, actually, <laughs> um, and and I use the word manage with a degree of trepidation because yeah. there isn't a managing, but watching how amazing production teams come together, you know, and I've never had the luxury of having a production team, yeah. you know, of people and watching people who are incredibly talented at what they do actually bring something really special and how each department configures itself and, and you know, learning how to, to be in to be in production meetings and how you know how you ask people things. That sounds really ridiculous, but you know, really give people time and space and consideration and so I don't know if anything particularly stands out because you learn every day when you're yeah. here. You know, you kinda of just learnt and and you know, every day brought some new learning. I loved working with the casting department, for example. I loved the process of auditions and, yeah. and casting. And I realised then I'm actually quite good at casting, you know, right. and, and I got I had a, a notion about what would look good and, and I really understood it, the, the kind of rationale behind all that and, and I suppose yeah, but I think every day brought new learning. I loved looking at Arturo Uru. I never got bored looking at looking yeah. at Arturo. I think it was just because every night something incredible happened in there, something different happened in it, you know. And then we were developing an understudy program at the time, so that was all yeah. really interesting, um, and to be on be part of the rationale as to why and how and what that might look like or what it might, you know, it, it was a really special time. So coupled with the next age, my head was thrown into <laughs> like, yeah. Wow, so I suppose Christ. yeah. So all those things were happening all at once, um, and then myself and Owen had graduated into the real world and yeah. decided, um, we better put our money where our mouth was and actually go and make something together. And so that was the birth of a new then. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And why did you feel that that was the road to go and to have your own company, to have this kind of, to have this structure, you know, kind of through which to make the world? I suppose because there's more than one of us, right. you know, and I think that's a very, you know, that was very basic. You know, there was four people who were kind of involved in terms of Sarah Jane Shields and Sophie Motley, myself and Owen, who went, this might be a good idea. Right. Um, and I suppose particularly myself and Owen looking at it from very different art forms. You know, I don't know that we're a theatre company. I, I question all the time what we are and what we do, and, and, and as does Owen. And I'm sure it might sometimes feel very difficult for him to be pigeonholed into that, that niche. But it's, yeah. it's, it describes its simplest because we're making stuff in a theatrical context, or you know, the theatricality is associated with what yeah. we do. Um, I suppose, but you know, myself and Owen had made maybe about six or seven productions before I knew. So we'd had nice. quite, a, quite a good working experience together. So we went into it with our eyes wide open and we knew that if we were going to do it, we were going to do it properly, you know, we were going to set ourselves up as a limited company, we were going to actually really do it. Yeah. We weren't just going to call ourselves that yeah. and then hope that everything else would fall into place <laughs> afterwards. So we invested a bit of time and money yeah. in terms of, and I know it was the worst time in the world, could you imagine, 2009, I had this great <laughs> idea. But I think because there's more than you, because there's more than one artist working, it just gave us a structure and an identity that we needed. Now I don't know that we operate even as a traditional company at all. 
you know, and, and many regards, you know, I suppose we do with Hannah is there all, all the time, myself and Hannah are there full time now, so it's a little bit, it takes up full time, <laughs> but you know, I don't know that we're a traditional theatre company in, in many respects, but I suppose based on with our first major show, we had done Corners and Project Arts Centre, which kind of looked at promenade kind of style stuff and it was a very lunchtime show and it just gave us our it just made us find our feet a little bit yes, which i saw which was great yeah and then i suppose we went in knowing that year that we were going to try and do basin yeah. and i suppose what was curious with basin was it was my old family home so we were looking you know i remember looking through a letterbox going i've worked a lot in in context with communities or with young people where i've asked them to give over a lot of information about a place or a space or a time and what would happen if i started to turn that you know almost onto myself Mm. Um, and what that might look like and, and asked Owen to help me do that actually and Gary Duggan who's a writer and, uh, and I suppose the three of us set out to try and do it and then halfway through that process I realised I didn't know that I wanted a writer making up stuff that happened inside the mm -hmm. house when you know it needed to be at that point for me it needed to be very truthful and we were very lucky, you know, the Abbey had given us a lot of support from, for Basin and had given us FBC where we had a Dogville type of set because the, the house itself was undergoing building work. Right. So the, the Dublin City Council were pulling down the inside of the house as we were trying to take out bits of walls and holding onto them. And, and you know, and you're doing that with very, we think we made Basin on a budget of €1,000, you know, and we had a cast of 26. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was kind of like stupid looking back in lots of ways. Wow. And yet gave us a real sense of why why we wanted like why it's very important you know what i mean yeah. especially you know you're working we're making work that exists essentially in a vacuum because it doesn't move yeah. you know we're making work that is that is generally on off-site or at least sites but you know and i think there's a big difference in those two words and i think if you're making stuff that's site specific then you have to stay true to that and say it's specific to the place that you're making it so you know you kind of go well it, you're making work that exists in a vacuum yeah. um, and very much is a commercial nightmare and and it hemorrhages money before you start and there's never going to be a time where you're making money back so you kind of go and you're not a commercial endeavor and that's where i think owen's involvement as, as a visual artist is really important because we don't underpin visual art the same commercial drive and i think right, he's taught okay. me an awful lot about actually just being truthful to to being an artist and considering yourself as an artist so you know very often we don't now anymore have a we don't have a rehearsal room we have a studio whereby lots of people are making work all the time okay. so very much the how we've we tried to really force, basically it was a really interesting learning time because we tried to enforce a theatre framework in terms of a production model, a four weeks rehearsal, uh, a fit up, a tech, yeah. onto something that couldn't, didn't support that. Like really it didn't, it yeah. almost killed us. You know, I feel like the age, 10 years, making basis <laughs> and learned so much because we tried to do that. And then, you know, we took a big step back after that moment and said, right, okay, that's not what we want to do. And what happened at the same time was I'd been working um, in the Abbey with Jimmy Faye and had got to know him and got to know Amanda Coogan yes. through Jimmy. And I suppose then he said, oh, Amanda's doing this piece in the Kevin Cavanagh Gallery. Would you like to come and see it? And I kind of went, yeah, I think I would. And I, I was talking to Owen on the phone before I went out. I don't know where Kevin Cavanagh is. He said, just go with an open mind. He said, I know you. And uh, performance art was something I'd had no, no relationship to yeah. or about. I, I didn't have a clue how to engage with it. And it was a piece called The Fall um, after a man called Yves Klein. And simply it was Amanda on a ladder in a yellow dress falling onto a mattress. Um, and that was on repeat. It was a repeat event. And that's all it was. And it was durational for maybe over six or seven hours that day. And I thought, God, will I be able to stand looking at that over and over again? And three hours later, I was still there and transfixed. And the reason I was transfixed was 
and, and you know it's really it's really easy to look back and go I knew something special but I actually did know something special was happening I just didn't know how to say that to Amanda because you don't know her that well you go <laughs> was that was something really weird happening then but um, there was something happened in that moment when when I realised that I was starting to make my breathing in sync with hers and and within that I realised that she needed me as much as I needed her and that changed everything I guess it just changed everything my world everything that, that happened to me before then I collapsed and collided and, and just bounced together and I went oh my god that's, what's, that's what I've been looking for yeah. and that's what I've been making I've been making massive productions around essentially very sim- simple ideas and then losing sight of those ideas somewhere in the middle of it you know and based in a way it was a big failure and for that reason you know the, really? the essences of what it was was, was sometimes I and mean, we were working with a fantastically bunch you know a bunch of committed dedicated team of people but we tried to A fit it into a theatrical framework and B the essence of why we were doing it in the first place I think got lost somewhere in it but I learned so much from it and I yeah. suppose watching that moment with Amanda um, just changed my life because I realised the first time a communion can exist where I matter as an audience or a viewer or whatever that is I really matter and we are we are together in this and and I suppose then you know it's really interesting to look at that now and go since then I asked Amanda then to mentor me for a year for a little while and we got a creative award which allowed her to do that yeah. and, and I suppose entering into that very formal mentorship program with Amanda was was life changing and you know we since went and travelled to New York and I went to Marina Abramovich's studio and at the same time myself and I were granted a residency in Robert Wilson Centre in New York so things really started to change and travel and in, in a, very, a breakneck speed after next stage almost it was just yeah. like right now go <laughs> like somebody went right you played around enough you know you're not a designer you're not, you're not going to do any of those things right now go it's and amazing. everything changed it's amazing you talk about that, that sense of communion with an audience because yeah. that to me is fundamentally number one building block why we do what we do yeah. ultimately that's what it's about it's about that connection with the audience because without the audience why bother there isn't anything so yeah, I suppose since then I've crucially tried to place the audience at the centre of everything they've done and sometimes you're going yeah you're being silly because you know you, there is a demand for more people to see that work but you're trying to, you're creating something that that is really vitally important to what you're trying to do and and I think you know then you know we, we started after the men, after coming out of being mentored by Amanda and, and Robert Wilson and being in the, that really amazing environment of Watermill um, and being on a residency and, and we don't often think of ourselves as the, you know in terms of theatre people and theatre makers as going on residencies and stuff yeah. in the same way and I suppose that's why the language that underpins our work and, and the methodology is is very different and we've come to realise that what we're trying to do is and the easiest way I could describe it is like a cubist dramaturgy <laughs> in terms of pushing those two worlds together completely. Because wow. I think what we're trying to do is to expose multiple surfaces simultaneously. Yeah. And I think that's really underpinned. And as, as much as placing the audience at the centre of that work, everything that we've tried to achieve since then. Um, yeah. Amazing. So that changed everything. Wow. I, okay, look, you mentioned it. So we get to the marginally controversial topic of the scale in terms of audience numbers mm-hmm. that you've tended to work on and and the necessity then for public funding to go into that. Sure. Um, presumably, with that style of work, it, it, can, it can, like you say, it can never be commercially viable. So so how difficult a balance is that then to to strike, to go, look, well, we need to get these public funds to do it, but it will be on, mm-hmm. on this scale. Is, I'm trying to formulate the question, is the minute, the, I guess the question is, how hard is it 
to, to make that happen so much? And, and is it ever hard for you to justify it? To say, well, that's a show that we could bring to I think I know, a couple of thousand people from yeah. somewhere else versus... It's really know. hard to justify. It's hard to justify it at a very basic level of why you, you should deserve it, first of all. Yeah. You know, and then it's hard to justify it when you, in terms of making work that does exist to a degree in a vacuum. I mean, but I think it's what's really important to note is that we set into a period of making four pieces of work that are going to be like this. Yes. That's all. You know, okay. we're not saying that this is our our kind of raison d'etre and this is the way we're going to make work out of for you know for infinity it's not actually yeah. and our plans are not to do that in any way and we're working towards project now as, as far as 2016 in which we know we absolutely won't be doing that right so i can clearly and categorically say it <laughs> but it was very important to these four pieces and i think yeah you do question that all the time and there is of course there is you're like you're, you're living in a, you know we're living in a world that there's no money for anybody really yeah. and and you're, you're you're asking for public funding but you have to underpin it with a value that, you know, you kind of go, yeah. And again, this is where the world of visual art, uh, for me, crosses over because we don't ask the same things of our visual artists. You know, we don't ask them to be commercially viable. Yeah. We don't, our public funding doesn't ask them to be commercial. Yeah. And yet they value we, the work for the work. They value the work for the work. And I learned that most of all from Owen. Yeah. And to actually be true to yourself. When, and you go, yeah, but you know, I'm also making work that, whereby I work full time um, for the whole year. I pay myself for the four weeks that I'm making a project. Yeah. You know, and, and you kind of go, well, yeah, that's great, but, and, and, and if you can. So it's not that we've had, we've had one publicly funded project. Wow. Um, and I think that's important to, to recognise yeah. and, and to put into, you know, to rationalise and stuff and say, yeah. But, you know, when we started to make this four-part four project, we knew it was going to take four years. I remember Amanda joking me because it was part of the end of our mentor, kind of mentoring phase, and she's like, this is probably your life's work, <laughs> not just four years. But, you know, and hopefully by the time we, you come to watch that, I mean, it's our absolute aim and ambition is to do these four parts together and to what, you know, and I suppose time will tell, and this will probably live our way after this is gone, <laughs> to say whether we did or didn't achieve it. But I think um, I really want to be able to stand and look at 100 years of history unfold in and around Foley Street in that quarter mile radius. And I think it's become an area that was very important to me, I suppose, because my generations of my family are from there and I'm right. from there. Um, and in terms of understanding who we are and why we are. But I also think, you know, and I don't mean to sound... It's something that's a bit wanky when you say this, but I think it's important. I think it's an important piece of work yeah. in lots of ways because I think it's an area when I look at it, it's had four critical regenerations over 100 years. It's been renamed from Worlds and Lane, which is now called Liberty Corner, and that's an extraordinary turnaround <laughs> in lots of ways, you know. But yeah. also, its history within those regenerations has been has been really interesting to watch and and to know why why reinventing its streets or its name or its place or its position nothing very much has changed it's still an area that is is quite dangerous to be around at night time or you know or that just has a, a sense of an undercurrent of of never quite realizing who it is and what it is because you know and and then yeah it's, it's, it's an area that's really important to me and very you know and in both in a personal way and but also you know you kind of look at it and go gosh it's strategically where it is positioned in terms of the main thoroughfare beside the docks and a train station it should be thriving yeah it really should be thriving and we're just curious as to what, to why those things, you know, why that area is what it is and who the people are. And, you know, Owen has a strong connection to the area as well. His grandfather had um, P.T. Daly, who was a man very close associated with, the, with you know, the, the lockouts and stuff and Larkin and all that political kind of career. Um, he had set up an STD clinic for the women who worked in the Monto in the red light wow. district. Whereas my grandmother would have had a completely different experience of being there and why she was there, living, bringing up 11 children, yeah. you know, um, and, and entertaining as such. Right. Um, so I suppose he was setting it up for her in lots of ways. But, you know, there's also, 
there was a massive you know real family and an interest in why we would start working there and why yeah you know and I think we knew then we had this idea of the, the kind of people and, and the engagement that we wanted to have and and then it just seemed massive so we went right we'll break it down and we broke it down to those four generations and those four times in history where it tried to change itself and why it tried, tried to change itself so that's where it's come from and so in terms of the overall project, a title for the overall project, are we allowed to call it the Monto Cycle? Or yeah, maybe we should be, yeah, but I don't, know what else it's, I don't know what else to call it, you know. Um, I don't know what it could be called. I suppose we didn't think about, you know, having a, have a massive <laughs> title. I suppose we started off making it called World's Night because that's what the area was called. Yeah. It, and I just thought it was an extraordinary name of a place. Um, and, and it's actually, we were looking specifically at the building of the lab yeah. and what was there in terms of Shanahan's pub and the Costello's dairy and, and why over one night did, the, did, did it like a 300 year reign of vice change literally overnight and midnight and one evening by one man and what was the kind of, um, the kind of looking at that five or four or five pivotal characters who played yeah. a role in that. But from a very, um, we didn't try to make a period drama you know that's kind of interesting we never try to we're never trying to um recreate or to uh reconstruct or reenact i think that would be a little bit crass plus we never made up anything because we don't know what these people said yeah you know we only have what we know to be fact and i think that became really really vital in worlds and lane particularly um and and there was a huge challenge i think because uh i didn't really work in worlds and lane and i did at making work for a gallery space terrifying experience when you're not an artist and you kind of go and I overheard two women outside of it going because I was putting up these what I thought were very very beautiful bottles of methylated spirits and had a big impact into why in the gallery space and, and two, uh, two old women outside going they called that art and I was mortified <laughs> and terrified and yet thrilled with myself because yeah yeah it is actually yeah. you know something it is um, because I say it is because it's like showing <laughs> down an notebook and because I say that that's what it is and now it's in the gallery to prove it and I suppose Worlds and kind of exposes the background of a theatre show to the public mm. you know because we can see the actors moving in and out and we can see them having sandwiches and going to the toilet and not necessarily going to the toilet full view of the window but you know taking toilet breaks because they're working durationally and stuff and that became very exciting but I think the most exciting moment for me in my entire career was where Laundry and Worlds and Lane met so if you were in your car coming like a taxi coming around from Laundry um, that was basically hijacked by the cast of Worlds and Lane by throwing themselves in the bonnet and getting into the car and asking people for money. I loved that moment. Wow. And I suppose there's motifs that we, we've had in mind from the very beginning that won't make sense until you know, later on yeah. and kind of looking at the different shows. For example, there's a set of tarot cards that place very in, in a pivotal position in Worlds and Lane, which is what part four is all about. Or there's a song started longer that you hear in part four, or you start listening to this very start of part three documentary of Worlds and Lane. So there, there is motifs that we've absolutely intended to follow through. So this is what I love. Yeah. This is what I refer to kind of the Harry Potter end of this. Yeah, the this, wire. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, that this we always have this in. big yeah. sweep of a scope of we want to make these. So the four shows, in as much as we know of them at the moment, we have Worlds yeah. and Lane, laundry. We have laundry. The yeah, third we're, one, we're working at the third one at the moment yes. called The Boys of Foley Street. Okay. And it's 1971 to 1981, and turning our attention to the boys. Okay. Um, and then the fourth one, I'm not so quite so sure what we're going to call it. Okay. Um, it's, it's probably going to end up just being called Liberty Corner. Okay. Um, but uh, it's, it's kind of looking at, at the now through the eyes of the then in a very interesting way okay. and through the eyes of one family who are a Roman Gypsy family who've been there since 1927. But looking now at the, the different cultures who live in that area and why, they, why it's a different community and what, what involvement they have and what it is now. So essentially our wish is to try and actually look at the whole four together and go, I can see 100 years of this world um, around me. 
and nice. and not in a reenacting way. You know, I think you know we, we bring to it a collective consciousness of where we are and why we are in this day and age. Somebody asked one of our actors last hour in Worldsland what year it was, which was like it's twenty ten because it was yeah. then. You know, so um, and 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 there is a realization that where we are now, we're placed with a very contemporary vantage point, looking back. And the one question, the questions that keep coming up within our work is whether we are presenting, representing, or representing. And that's kind of the thing that we've caught on to, you know, a lot right. of it in, in terms of thinking about it and stuff. Um, yeah, it's been interesting. Somebody asked me recently, how do you cast? And I said, well, I don't really cast. I just bring together people I really would like the idea of working with and then yeah. ask them and work with them together to find out, you know, what's interesting. For example, I never would have asked Sarah Kenny to spend seven hours a day naked in a bath. You know, it just would be unethical at the very best. But I suppose... In, in so you forget, I grew up with her and Kenny. We, we were kids together. Yeah. I know her since we were 11 or 12. Yeah, it's been really interesting. Like, she's a fantastic performer. She's amazing. She's so amazing. And, but I suppose in our, in our research of that building and, and in laundry and in the building of laundry, you know, she found a bath that was the women's bath yeah. that they would have used. And, and she was really... She became really interested in the idea of why so many of the women in the laundry had died of mastitis, for example, which is a disease that we normally associate with cattle but but women had died of it because they simply weren't allowed to expel breast milk and touch themselves and touch their bodies. So she knew she really wants to engage with that. So, um, and then hence we were together with choreographer Emma Payne and myself to frame it and, yeah. and to find a way to try and look at that. Um, and that became what, but I never would have thought to say to a performer, how you doing? Um, for very little money, would you mind spending seven hours a day naked in a bath, please, while people take you in and out of this? Yeah. You know, and it, you know, I think those things, you know, I'm working with actors who are incredibly hardworking people and, and I think, you know, it's really funny having, being afraid of them a few years ago to going, my God, I applaud them with such, you know, such, I've been very lucky also to work with people who are better at things than I am, right. you know? So I think in terms of it, for the design team, even like, people like Sarah Jane and Lights or, you know, Vincent or Carl and Sound and stuff, or just people who are amazing, but also actors who bring so much to what we do. I don't know who owns these shows anymore, because I think we've created them together. And I think I would be very reluctant to say any of them were by me or by yeah. me and Owen, or even by, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know who owns us because we've asked everyone to bring so much of themselves and so much of their, they're just, their, their attitudes, their, their, what's important, their values, their ethics, you know, everything kind of underpins and I think they're extraordinary artists actually they really are so I could talk to you about this all day yeah. but we have to cover some other topics sure I want to talk to you about um, I want to talk about the project brand new thing because it has been such an amazing platform for mm -hmm. many people to go and try stuff out that there just isn't the scope for elsewhere how important is it for you to be a part of project brand so again new? next age it was it all came from next age yeah. you know I think it's been really interesting the three major developments that came from Next Age was me going back to do, to, to do my MA, to kind of at the same time, to, to go and that's what I want. Uh, yeah, I'll take, I'll take it by the horns, to working with Emma Jordan, and since subsequently my association with Prime Cut, and then also Russia, you know, it was very much instrumental in, in Project Brand New, and then by association myself, Dee and Jody, and then later Lynette yeah. became to be involved. But I think it was Russia really kind of spearheaded and kind of went, yeah, we're giving out all the time, saying there's no place for risk. And I understand that because, you know, if... There's only one way to find out if something's going to work, and that's by doing it. And sometimes we don't find that out. In terms of theatre, we don't find that out until too late. And you go, Jesus Christ, I have a real turkey on my hands. But I had to try it. And we had to find out, give ourselves permission to fail. Yeah. You know, we all use that quote so much, and yet we don't really necessarily go, yeah, but why, why aren't we asking ourselves hard questions? So I think, you know, what became very apparent during that Next Stage programme was, yeah, we can, we can stand by and give out about it. Mm -hmm. And say, yeah, there's no permission to experiment or take risks. 
Um, or you can actually go and let's try and do something about it. But it would be wrong of me to say that with my brainchild, it was not. And yeah. um, it was definitely Rosh's. And I think she just said, who's with me? You know, it was a bit like, who's on this mutiny board? And I was like, yeah, I would be. Because I really like the idea of, of a space to, to create risk and, and to, to really genuinely interrogate yeah. and question because I suppose that's where my head was then it was like I didn't know what I was you know you kind of go yeah that's a great idea terrifying and brilliant at the same time and then it became very important and a very vital kind of um, I, I think a project and, and very you know I think getting you know being involved with project and their involvement all the way through and, and watching how it's, it's grown and changed in the last number of years has been really exciting but I think ultimately it's about giving artists freedom to try yeah. and you know to ask the hard questions not to ask, not to showcase twenty minutes of what's brilliant, yeah. but actually really interrogate it in front of a live audience, and for an audience to understand that they can have an impact, an absolutely you know beneficial, important, and again maybe it's that communion thing that's going on, but whereby that they be they be their matters as much as me being matter looking at matter sinking my breathing, yeah. you know. But I think yeah, I think that the audiences in front of new are very important to to what it is, and to showcase that it's a very brave thing for for artists to do and stand up and go right. I'm going to try it, but we have to find, find a place to try it, because yeah. there's nowhere really to do that in front yeah. of a live audience. You mentioned Prime Cut and the work you've done there. In recent times, you've been doing a lot of work with a number of different companies, um, from uh, obviously Performance Corp most recently, with Across the Lock, and also the astonishing show you did with, um, with Fish Ambo, which was... At the end of the road, it's just an amazing piece, which just great. blew me away. It's been uh, a really exciting few years in, in getting the opportunity to work with people that you've admired for so long you know it's kind of an extraordinary thing to be able to walk into a room of people that you've looked up to and kind of wants to be you know I think I, I used to say I used to joke saying I want to be John Manuel when I grow up you know? <laughs> um, but suddenly been giving being given you know um, I suppose permission and trust and you know the honor of working with them has been great it's been really really fascinating and brilliant yeah. um, and, and, and I really mean that and to work with Gavin um, closely with Gavin on end of the road was an extraordinary project, you know, because you're dealing with one man's life, his whole life, and 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 looking at it through, trying to look at it through his eyes, but in a way that's interesting to ours. Yeah. And and bringing Bill along to see the show with his family, um, was probably my most terrified thing I've ever I'm done. Surprised. You know, because it's made now, and yeah. I don't know what you're going to think and what he's going to feel or what his family might feel, and and it was an, uh, you know. I kind of lurked with them in the background because <laughs> I better be near in case it goes wrong, but also in case he needs to slap somebody. Um, but, you know, I think it's an extraordinary testament to Gavin's skill as a writer and all those hours of interviews that he had done initially with Bill and then introducing me to Bill later on in, in the hospice and stuff and just understanding how you, you think about your life coming to the end of your life, you know, and, and what that means and how you look back on a very ordinary life and celebrate it. And I think he was an extra an extraordinary ordinary man, if you know what I mean. Yeah. He was you know, he himself said, Why would you want to why would you want to be doing a play about me? And yet why not? You know, everybody's got a story, everybody's got a life and and, and, and Bill was no less important than any of the you know, any other major play that you would see and go, Yeah. And I think that's a testimony again to Fish Amble and their their willingness to engage in, in that way and stuff. And it was great. I really, and you know what Gavin's like to work with. He's, yes, he's kind of inspiring and brilliant. And, yeah. and you have to listen carefully because his head is catching, his, his, his words are catching up to where his brain is. You're like, what was that? Where were we? Where were we? And yet, it was, we spent a few months together, myself and Gavin, meeting every Friday morning, just imagining what this show might be. And, that, and, and subsequently, he had been in, interviewing you know, Bill over a couple of years. So this was a very special project. And it was extraordinary. It was a really special 
important piece of work and experience for me to do. Yeah. Um, but the, the fragility of holding somebody's life and going, and then presenting it back was was it was an amazing thing. And he did like it, you know. And I'm glad you to know, hear it. Microsoft um, was an amazing piece. Yeah, of I think it was it was really extraordinary. And we rehearsed in a week, one really? week. Yeah, we had one week's rehearsal with four bills oh, and other the four other wives having to rehearse it with every every other bill. Um, so I'm sure their heads were melted, but they were again. You kind of go great actors, and that's what I've learned, you know, since yeah. that time. Is like actors are amazing. Like they really can bring <laughs> something that you never imagined to something, you know. And even most recently with performance cooperation and the astounding Steve Blunt, like he just owned that whole ship. Like literally, yeah. like, there's, there's images of just him looking into the water at dusk and sunset and the last boats and stuff and. He was brilliant. He was amazing. But again, you're working with really good writers and really good companies, and and you get to surround yourself with wonderful people. And Prime Cut, no less. But I think my engagement with Prime Cut has been kind of different because up until now, and it's about to change. But up until now, I've worked on their kind of community engagement programs, and it's brought me back to that work. Yeah. And and back to working with people who are not actors, and and finding another joy, and but bringing a huge different kind of experience and and a different kind of knowledge back to that work now is is amazing. Like. And I get really buzzed by working with people who are not actors, and 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 yet you can, yeah, they just give so much more, so much more to process in a different way. But they're they're authentic and they're truthful, and there's no ego, and yeah. that's that's a real joy, you know. And yeah. so you work with people, and I'm really curious what makes a seventy nine year old man decide for the very first time. Do you know what? I'll give this a go. So our very recent project was in the old Temple of Baths in East Belfast, um, which is a very loyalist area and very you know very much in a pocket of Belfast. And it was probably one of the best things I've ever, ever had the experience of doing in my life. And again, you're working with a frame, a company who's investing a lot of their, their resources and their time and their money actually into creating a framework of a really good, a strong team of people like the wonderful Kira Bangle and, you know, Carl Kennedy Designing Sound and an amazing production team to support that community framework. And that's different. Yeah. Because normally you're working in, like my experience of working in communities is beg, borrowing and stealing until we get it all together. You yeah, know? of course. And so having like a real resources, we made a project last year that had a hundred mini museums of me, and uh, mini museums, to, we called it Museum of Me, but it was, it was an old bank. We took over a bank in the middle of Belfast and there was a hundred safety deposit boxes. And we asked 100 women in Belfast to make a museum to a woman they admired. And that became an archive that's now lived on in schools and stuff. So it's really interesting to watch how you can then reapply myself to that work with, with an actual frame of understanding, a different critical reference and understanding. And that's been amazing. That's been a really special, special time. I think Prime Court need to be absolutely applauded and congratulated more than they, you know, than they need to, because they, they really do invest time, energy, commitment and belief into that kind of work. And in many ways, I've never seen people do that, you know, or even working with Upstate Theatre Project in a very similar way where they invest real time into working with with communities for all the right reasons yeah. and the right ways, you know. So it's been a really brilliant time to be able to negotiate in managing our own work and, and working with people who are not actors and you know and there, even this framework of people like you know in organisations that create and stuff and what they've meant even in terms of mentoring or in terms of production support and sometimes that's all you have yeah. or but the resources there I mean there's some amazing people out there like we we, we spend a lot of our time giving out and, and sometimes you know I've I've come to the realization that I've often you know, stopped and as soon as you ask for something, people there's a lot of goodwill and generosity of spirit, time, effort, experiences. People are really great, you know, and yeah, it's been brilliant. So I love I love working with I love mixing my work around this way. You know, Prime Cutters and I'm very lucky to be to be their artists in association this year, you know, right. so and it's their twenty fifth years that kind of so it's myself and Owen McCafferty and it's been really extraordinary to be supported in this way. It's great. And uh, for the very first time then next month 
I'm going to make a piece called As If For The First Time with actors in Belfast um, right. responding to the new Mac oh, and the Mac course, building yeah. and what's there. So that's going to be a very much a work in progress um, for, for Pick and Mix Festival. So that's kind of great. And then just kick ourselves into into part three in the motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's amazing. I could honestly sit here and talk to you all day. It's it's terrifying to hear. Likewise, sadly, you know. It's just terrifying to hear so many things that, that we at Rise Productions and me personally hold so dear in terms of the work you want to try and make it just hearing it from you. I, I think you talk about you want to be Joe Mangum when you grow up. I want to be you when oh, I grow up. Thank you, Angus. Uh, Louise, that was absolutely brilliant. Thank you so well, much. Thank you. So there you have it, the amazing Louise Lowe. That was just such an inspirational one for me personally, I have to say. I mean, I've had a great time doing these conversations with, uh, you know, all, all such a diverse group of theatre makers uh, over the last six or seven months. But that really was one that stands out for me as a, as a real inspiration. Louise is, is just a, a, a great, great theatre maker and someone who I really look up to. Um, you know, just there's so much of what she's done that's just absolutely blown me away. You know, I think back to the end of the road that she talked about the show she did with Fishamble recently. And uh, it was just, it was simultaneously, you know, one of the best nights I had in theatre in the last couple of years. And at the same time, I'm going, God damn it, that's my idea. God damn it, that's what I want to do. I just like, it felt like, you know, everything I'd ever dreamed of doing in a piece of theatre, she was already doing and doing it much better. And you're going, God damn it. Um, she's amazing. I'm just uh, so privileged to have her on. And, and you know, to hear her speak, uh, the way she did about, like I said, about putting the audience first and that sense of communion, um, just even the use of that word uh, means so much to me in terms of how we go about what we do here at Rise. It was, um, yeah, i got to say, look, it was quite an emotional thing chatting to her. I, I, I really had a great day. I, I wish nothing but the best for her. I think she's amazing. And you know she's only going from strength to strength. You know it's only going to be a long and exciting road ahead of her. I'm, I'm delighted for her. I think it's... Uh, I just think it's a great thing. I think she's brilliant and I think it's all wonderful. Look, we'll get on to the uh, the weekly roundup before I start crying or something. Um, look, there's loads of great stuff on at the moment. The Country Girls is back at the Gaiety with people like the great Charlie Bonner, Georgina Miller's in there and Port Marnock's own Quiva O'Malley, who I'm really excited about. This is a, a young lady who's not that long out of the Gaiety School of Acting. She's out about a year now and um, and she's she's really great. Apart from the fact that she's a really solid actress, um, she's someone I've been looking enough to chat to over the last little while and just has a really great head on our shoulders and a, and a brilliant approach to the business a great attitude about the business um, knows what she's into knows what she wants knows how to go about getting it um, she's someone I'm really really excited about and if you get a chance to go and see her in that at all I would wholeheartedly recommend it she's someone uh, she's someone we're mad keen to work with now in the, in the future here at Rise um, as we go to Project um, Pigeon from Carpet Theatre is still going there and Blue Raincoat are there with the chairs um, who I think we're just about to go into the Tron soon where we were leaving um, Glasgow as they were about to go over or something they're, they're certainly chasing us around a bit at the moment so that's uh, worth going and checking out um, the Viking Theatre has Macklin Method and Madness um, that's featuring the brilliant Michael James Ford and that'll be followed by Nuts and Bolts by Fiona Looney and that'll be performed by Deirdre Donnelly um, who is always magnificent so that's certainly worth uh, going to take a look at the gate have Glen Gary Glen Ross which has only just opened and I'm hearing pretty spectacular reports back from that delighted to hear just about great ensemble playing in a really great play um it's like i always say theater isn't really rocket science you get a good play a good cast a good director and just let them at it um it can really sing so i'm, I'm hearing great stuff about that i hope i'm going to get a chance to see it but i don't know that i will i think they finish the same like we finish so i may not get a chance to get up there but uh look i watch owen row read the phone book so get in there if you tell if at all you can um the new theater has love in the title by hugh leonard still um smock alley still has she stoops to conquer Bewley's cafe theater 
theatre. Has Peter Sheridan back again with 47 Roses? Um, Peter is just such an amazing guy. You know, you heard Louise talk so fondly about him in that interview. Um, if you get a chance to go and see that show, I really think you should. He's just a, a consummate storyteller. That's that's a great uh, a great afternoon's entertainment. Um, Des Kyo's production of The Love Hungry Farmer is at the mill and is continuing on tour around the country. And, uh, and then we get to the Abbey Theatre, which has Pat Kinnavan's Silent at the Peacock at the moment, which is selling ridiculously fast. Uh, this is a show you have to go and see. If you don't have your tickets yet, buy it now. You'll regret it if you don't, because they will be gone. Um, and also at the Abbey, there's a little play happening upstairs by uh, by an emerging writer called Tom Murphy, which will be starring uh, uh, a few uh, actors knocking around town at the moment who uh, I think could really go somewhere. No, look, we, we're kicking off soon there. Uh, we start previewing on the 7th. So, um, look, come on down and see what we're going to do. I think... Uh, you know, you've been hearing a lot about that this particular show over the last uh, month or two here on the podcast. Uh, I'm really proud of the work we have going on there. I think it's going to be pretty something pretty special. And uh, I'd love you all to come down and check us out. Um, so, so please do. Yeah, the house is kicking off from previewing the 7th and opening the 13th down at the Abbey. And, uh, you know, I go on about ticket prices sometimes and things being a little steep. Ticket prices for the house uh, and ticket prices for every show at the Abbey start from as little as 13 euro. So if you're talking about the cream of Irish writers, the cream of Irish directors, the cream of Irish actors, the cream of Irish designers at our national theatre, firing on all cylinders, the best theatre can be. I don't think 13 euro is too much to ask anybody to shell out for that. So uh, so hopefully it's affordable for people and you will get a chance to come down and check it out. I really think it's going to be a great show. Uh, as we move around the country at the Everyman in Cork, they have the Taylor and the Anstey and uh, and the Opry, ha- the Opry House. Man, I sound like I'm going over to America. The Opera House has uh, has that production of the Country Girls touring down to it. Um, Love All is still touring around the country. Uh, if we go north to Belfast, the Civilization Game is still on at the Lyric. And uh, as we head over west... The Mighty Druid are taking on three Murphy plays. We could only do one. They're going for all three. Um, that is kicking off at the moment. And uh, and I'm hearing pretty phenomenal reports back from Galway about that at the moment. That's going to be such an experience. At some point over the next while, look, it's going to be touring around the whole globe. At some point over the next few months, make it your business to go and see it. And I guess as I did with the, with their production of The Sing Cycle, look, I'd recommend some, go and do it all in one day. Go and take that on. Do a theatre marathon. Um, something happens in the alchemy of the relationship between performers and audience when when you commit that much to each other both the audience committing to a show like that and the uh, the performers committing to look we're going to lay it down for you we're going to give you everything we've got for the next 10 or 12 hours um some kind of magical pixie dust gets sprinkled somewhere and uh, just to go through that with them it is such a phenomenal experience. I would, uh, I'd really recommend if you can and you get the chance to go and do all three in one day. I think that's going to be great. And hey, you get to see an awful lot of Tom Murphy, which is um, only ever going to be a happy thing. So do go and uh, do go and check that out if you get the chance. So look, that's us. That is episode thirty in the books. Jesus Christ, thirty episodes. Man, this machine keeps rolling on. Well, look, we'll be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast for Angus Og McAnally. I'm Angus Ogue McAnally. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>